Yes, good morning. Welcome to Happy and Succeeding in the Future of Work. Today, we have an awesome guest, an international superstar, if you will, an international superstar corporate executive, Valerie Bellew. Am I pronouncing it right? Or I'm, you know. Fantastic. You're doing great. My bad American accent. So, comment allez-vous? Très bien. Thank you so much. How are you doing? Very well. Thanks for coming aboard. And so I, I definitely love to share your story. I mean, if I could just jump right into it, you know, I've spoken to you in the past and you're such a nice down to earth person. And yet, well, I should say yet you were the chief marketing officer for Microsoft in the US, which is a huge job. So if you don't mind, I just want to jump into you. Can you talk a little bit about your career arc and how, how did that happen? Well, thank you. And, I'm, and now I'm the chief sales and marketing officer for the Adeco Group. Let's not forget yes. that. Yes, <laughs> yes. So hey, I, I, I joined the Adeco Group just uh, 15 months ago after you are totally right, 30 years in the tech industry and 24 years at Microsoft. Um, and I was lucky to have a fantastic run in that company where I, I joined relatively early in my career as a marketing person. And, and then I grew the ranks, uh, broadening my responsibility to uh, uh, work on sales and then driving businesses, uh, starting in Europe, then moving to the US, then moving to Singapore, then back to the US. So I think the beauty of this big organization is that um, if you're curious enough, if you're passionate about, you get opportunity to grow yourself. I need to say sometimes it put my growth mindset to a set, to a test. Mm -hmm probably more than once, um, but this was an amazing uh, learning opportunity as a whole. People who are watching this now, and then what will happen is we'll re-edit it and then post it again on social media. So for people watching, you make it sound easy, but how did that happen? You know, because that's a huge job. I mean, Microsoft, obviously one of the largest, most well-respected companies in the world and to, to, and I will get to Deco afterwards, but you know, to get to that spot first, what's is there a secret sauce that you did to get noticed? Is it just hard work? Is it being just smart? Well, thank you for that question because I do believe it's a bit of everything yeah. and a sprinkle of luck. Uh, I am very careful with the meritocracy uh, dogma, mm -hmm. because obviously nothing can happen if you don't put in hard work, but you also need to have the stars to align to make it happen as well. And I, I don't want to judge um, my success just by the title I reach, but more, more about did, did I do all that was needed to be at my best all the time? And then, then when you are at your best, when you, you're getting your mojo going and you're passionate about your doing, you're doing it 200%. And again, striving to be better every day. That's what I think got me where I went. Um, I, I also want to say, and probably we're going to talk about women and women leaders, making sure that you build your network of sponsors and mentors. I think these are people also made a huge difference in my career. And I believe that this is something that I also want to give back today, this learning and support that I've uh, gotten from these fantastic mentors along my career. Well, suddenly very, uh, very much responsible for, for my trajectory. So, so, so it's, so a lot of different things put together, the hard work, the effort, 
the enthusiasm. It seems like you have to really have passion for what you do to, to get to that next level. But then also, sometimes in life, you just have to be in the right place, the right time, as you say, luck. But also building and cultivating a network of mentors, protege, uh, you know, people who kind of support each other. How was it like? For because uh, when you started, very different than I guess it is now as a woman in a in, in the tech field. Was that hard for you? Were you accepted? Well, I think people th believe that uh, engineers are people with flip flops and baggy shorts and t-shirts. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, obviously, there are these kind of people right. in the tech industry, like there are in other industries as well, by the way. Um, but there is room for everyone and every uh, every diversity, actually. And it's true that when you come into an environment which is mostly male, um, there are a number of bias that are attached to the way that people are looking at you. And you, by the way, is the same for me. I have my own bias. So everybody has bias. So you need to be probably extra cognizant um, that you are also coming with your own bias and people are looking at you with their own bias. Uh, but I would say in the, uh, it is very important to make sure that while you are aware about that, you also focus on your impact, the impact you're driving. And, and I think that's also what, uh, what gets noticed and, and also making sure that it's about you in the end. Are you again, growing, um, developing, continuing to drive more for others uh, and being also obsessed with the success of others and not only your success. And this, is, this has been a very strong driver for myself as well. It was never about me. It was never about my next job. It was about how much impact can I drive? How much success can I drive for others? Can I enable others? Can I share best practices? Can I learn more practices? Can I bridge these good practices? And I think that talks about um, what also makes you successful. You never stand alone. You're always in a team in a way or another. See, that's a really interesting way of looking at things. I would say here in the States, and I'm completely generalizing, I think a lot of people look at their career as like a lone sport. You know, it's not a team sport. You know, you're just doing it yourself and you have to advance and do whatever it takes. You're looking at it differently, like a holistic, hey, I'm not just focusing on me. I'm focusing on how I could benefit the company, my peers, my colleagues, my customers. It's a very different mindset, right? Well, I think it's all about realizing that, uh, we're always better than we are together. And it's very interesting when you think about, and, and that's a nice sideway maybe to the new world of work. When, when you think about how work is doing, we are drastically moving away from the task based of the early 20th century. Most of uh, the, at least office work, but I would say it's true for most of the jobs, they tend to be more team-based or project-based, it's very rare that you have a job that you can perform on your own. And so I think this is an evolution from the early days of industrialization to the more complex work we are living in, where we have much more cross-dependencies to be successful. And you know, we'll talk, maybe, let's see, that's a really good point. So what we could do later is talk a little bit about like hybrid, remote, because that's that, how do you collaborate together? But I want to say, what made you decide to then move from Microsoft to a Deco? 
Well, after years working with my clients on digital transformation, I, I was very much passionate about technology. I think mm -hmm. you got that as a red thread in, in yeah. who I am and how I behave, this passion. I, I, I realized that the main blocker for companies to really yield the benefit of digital transformation was actually the talent agenda. And how do you help your own workforce to take full benefit of technology? How do you uh, reskill them, uh, hire new profiles, and how you really reap the, the fruit of, of that investment you're making on tech? This will only be dependent on how you really think your, your talent agenda. And that's why I was very passionate coming over into the ADECO group to really how we make the future work for everyone, for both companies, but also for individuals. Uh, because this transformation that I'm talking about for the companies on how to embrace digital media and digital transformation is also true on the jobs. Like jobs are also evolving as we all have to adapt into that digitized world. That's, that's really interesting. And so how do you do, so as a chief marketing officer, how, how do you do that? How do you kind of get people to say, hey, things are changing, they're changing radically. This is kind of a new digital age to get both the employees of the company, but then your company does you know, search staffing, et cetera. So how do, how, do you, how do you make all this happen? Well, it's, uh, again, it's a team play. Right. <laughs> it's never a one person role. And I, what I like about the way we're doing it is that we're starting with the customer. We're starting with our clients. We're sitting down with them to understand where is their maturity stage? What are their next growth uh, agenda? What is the next priority for their own transformation? And we helping them to think through what should be their talent agenda in the new context of their business priorities. We don't come with like prefabricated offerings. The, the beauty of, of the job that I do is that we have the full tool set that we can offer. And so starting with a customer and I, I, is for me the, the, the critical path to success. And on this one, I want to say that um, there was this old methodology. You ask questions and the customer will end up uh, giving you the answer. Well, the reality is that it's not true. No one has the answer. And it's through the co-ideation and the mutual questioning uh, that we start to develop a solution that will be uniquely fitting to your need. And that's the fascinating piece uh, I need to say. And again, when you're lucky to have a lot of tool sets in your company, like we have in my group, it's, it's really an, an opportunity to really drive uh, the right outcome for our customers so that they are successful and their employees can benefit you know, long life employability, continue to grow and enjoy their job and really work for a purpose. So that's really my joy every day. And Deco is huge, right? And is, is it the largest staffing or what? The, the number one, number two, or? We're how, among how, the top HR company. So, and it spans the whole globe, right? International. Those so are the countries. That's amazing. So given... Given the scale, what are you seeing now in terms of for people who are watching this, listening to this, are there areas that are very fast growing? And everyone is different. So, you know, they may, may not have the skills, but just generally speaking, you know, what are some of the areas that are exciting, that are fast moving? What are, and you'd recommend say, hey, if you're curious, 
And I think post pandemic, many people started reevaluating their work lives. Can I pivot to this? Can I reinvent myself? Any thoughts and advice, what people could look for in a career, in a job, in this, in this sector? Well, I think uh, today the talent scarcity is not a myth. Uh, I'm sure you've read that in the headlines and you've heard about it in other podcasts. And it, there is a reality of the talent scarcity, and this is not going to go away. When you think about the uh, pyramid of the population, we have an aging population and fewer people entering the workforce every day. So my belief is that this is creating tons of opportunity because the amount of work that needs to be performed is more or less the same. We still have to deliver, every company has to deliver on the same workload and I'm mm -hmm. putting that in air brackets. But with fewer people entering the workforce and more people retiring, we need to reinvent the way we work. And I am very optimistic that the next few years, probably the next decades, plural, are going to drive a lot of innovation and a lot of new jobs. Uh, I was reading a, a statistic recently that was saying that the jobs of the next 10 years, most of them are pro probably don't exist today. And so, of course, there is the traditional, hey, you need to be digital savvy, you need to be in tech profession, you need to be in data analyst, et cetera. Totally true. I think today there is not enough tech population given the exponential growth of computing. Um, so that's true. That's an, that's an immediate opportunity and it's not going to slow down as we put more computer chips in everything, in, in the clothes. Maybe I've heard people say maybe under your skin at some point. So th this is not going away. But at the same time, I want also to... Um, to make sure that people understand that the one diploma, one career forever, I think this will no longer happen. I think we need to be very cognizant that we are going to enter the workforce. And it's very likely that we are going to change profession multiple times. We may even have multiple careers. Uh, and, and that's very exciting for me, this, uh, this concept of, uh, I'm gonna be a lifelong learner, which I love. You, you may gather that from my career yeah. myself, but I think this is becoming a trend. So I, I've, I was talking to students recently who were worried about, hey, well, my diploma giving me the right access to the type of evolution that I'm seeking for. I said, well, be ready to take another diploma or, or to go through another training and multiple training so that you adjust your skills to how the jobs are going to evolve. So the framework is this, that you have people retiring, the baby boom is kind of leaving the market. Although I wonder as a side note with, the stock market not doing too well in the economy in Iraqi, are they gonna are they gonna come back into it saying, yikes, I was hoping, you know, I had this big investment portfolio. Now it's like, you know, 20% less. I'll come back. But it does feel that the numbers, the data shows that I guess you could have a lot of people retiring and not enough people to fill the job. And with innovation and growth, there's so many jobs that are still gonna be open. And for people to kind of, it sounds like what really the undercurrent is you have to kind of keep learning and upskilling and training. And that maybe companies have to offer that too to keep their people because it's constantly changing. It's not as if you take a job in 10, 20, 30 years, it's the same type of job. It's moving so quickly. So like, it sounds like you're saying for people to really 
keep their eyes open for the trends, keep your eyes open. How can I keep learning and keep reinventing myself? And you, and that's okay. You don't have to stay in the same job forever. You can kind of keep moving. And I find out with the younger generations, your Gen Zs and, the, and millennials, they're more apt than like a Gen X or like myself or a baby boomer who was used to, oh, I have to be at a company for X amount of years and that's it. So what you're saying in part is that, hey, it's okay, it's cool. You could have a bunch of different jobs. You could have different careers. You could have different jobs within those careers and you can go on another career. And, and the key is to kind of just be curious, right? Keep learning, keep growing, keep getting skills. And this way you'll be employed and empowered. And I imagine after a while, those skill stacks add up. So then you come better because you just don't know one like silo of working at a company and that's it. So is that kind of that advice that you that that, that you think would really work for people? I I, I think it's uh, it's indeed uh, building your own tool set. Yeah, that will be a combination of uh, where you are where you are good at and what you have a passion for because you know sometimes we have a passion for something we're just average so it's good to also be aware of the areas where you are good at and when you get that perfect tool set of the things you are super good at and the things you are super clear on what you are passionate that gives you the flexibility to choose the role the the job where you will be giving your full impact Mm -hmm. and it's really a win-win for both the company you work for um, and, and, and then for yourself, because you totally blossom in your job. And I think this is where you have the best, the best alchemy happening. And maybe you will be working for several companies at the same time. I mean, today we're talking a lot about the platform work, you know, like uh, the Uber of the world, etc. But what's the next generation? You know, if, if you think about intense hybrid work where everybody works from home, what about you work for several employers at the same time? Is is this a problem? Could that uh, what, what do you think? There's, okay, there's this group. It's interesting. Why not? Why not? There's, a, there's this group. Uh, oh gosh, I'm spacing on the name. Unemployment for all. I can't remember. But their, their thing is like, hey, we'll help you navigate how to have like two or more jobs at the same time. But they don't really tell their bosses are having two. They just do it themselves. They're at home, primarily tech-ish kind of folks. So you're thinking that's something okay. That might be something that'd be more normalized. Like, hey, why not? I, I think we are going into a, a new world of work where all the possibilities are still to be explored. That, that's my only point. I, and that's why right, I was right. throwing that example because I've heard stories like the one you describe. My, my own son is, is, a, is an engineer by day and on the weekend is a photographer. He has two right. jobs. I've, I've heard this is called slashing, like the, the young oh, generation, they call it slashing when you have several jobs at the same time and two different jobs. So he's an engineer, he's good at that and he loves photography. Perfect, already perfect combo of what he, of his tool set. And why not? Why would that be, you know, enable in the future? Maybe we'll see. It makes sense because if, you know, you, people aren't one dimensional. You know, as an engineer, he might have that analytical mindset about writing code. Great. And he loves it, enjoys it, and he makes a nice living at it. However, he might also have an artistic side to him and say, hey, by being a photographer, that unleashes some of the other pursuits. So so it makes a more well-rounded person. So they don't feel, because if you're just doing one thing, but you have passions for other things, you kind of feel like you're losing out on something. So if you could kind of blend the two and make some money doing it, why not? That's great. 
See, I was thinking too of, see, I was thinking differently, not so much like the side hustle, but somebody who picture this, let's say your son's an engineer for ABC widget company, but then also he's an engineer for XYZ company doing the same time. So I, what do you think about that part where it's not kind of on the weekend, but it's juggling, I guess everything well, is open. That's, that's my point. I don't know that yeah. I have a crystal ball yeah. to, to say, this will happen for sure. This will become a yeah. trend. I think the post-pandemic has just opened so many possibilities where before the pandemic, a number of companies were just about the what we can't do. But now with the pandemic, when we think that the entire world had to totally repivot from a different ways of working in matters of weeks, the question is no longer what we can't do, but what can we do and what will make sense? And I have a lot of confidence uh, in all of us collectively to define what will make sense and what will not make sense. That will just be a whim of, hey, can we really be, I, I have uh, also heard stories of people who are traveling the world and working one month in each country while still keeping their job in the US. Is, is it desirable? Will that stay or is it just a whim? I don't know, but I, I, my, my only point is, I think we've just opened a new world of possibility and that's very exciting. It is, right? It's, it's, it's you know, when I started working and I'm sure you, you too, is very structured. You know, you, you know, you go commute to a city, you stay there for X amount of hours a day, commute back, keep doing it. And that's pretty much, you know, pretty much it. No one cared about your mental health or well-being. No one cared about if you were burnt out or not now. It's so different. It's it's so more fluid. It's more open. It's more understanding. Hey, yeah, I'll be a digital nomad. You know, I'm going to work remotely. I'm going to work hybrid. I'm going to work flexible. I mean, coming in when I want and not coming in when I don't want. So, so there's so many different ways you could you know you could kind of work. Now, do you have any any strong feelings about you know hybrid work or in particular because I know you're passionate about you know women in the workforce. Is it good, bad, and different? But what do you think? Well, thank, thank you for asking me the question, because indeed, in this new world of possibilities, I want to make sure that, well, I want in my little contribution, yeah. uh, but I'm very uh, interested to make sure that the women are not losers in, in this new world, because we've made decades of, of progress on um, women uh, in the workplace, having less bias, accessing more managerial role, more interesting careers, et cetera. But it's still very fragile. And, and actually, as much as I am very excited by the pandemic opening new opportunities, I was also very worried to see the statistic of how disproportionately the, the women in the workforce have been uh, hit. Um, they were the, the first uh, population hit, um, and there were uh, surveys from, uh, I think it was from McKinsey, were saying that uh, uh, when you had uh, households with a dual uh, income earner, in 80% of the cases, the person who stayed at home when the school closed was the woman. And um, also, when you think about the pandemic and the over-representation of women in some uh, industries like hospitalities who got the very strong hit from the pandemic. So all these people were sent back to home. And so during the pandemic, I think women 
bear the brunt of 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 the consequences while while men were probably a, a little less impacted and as as we go out of this uh, very uncharted territory, which was the pandemic, I, I'm also worried not to see them coming back. Um, and, and so this hybrid work, you could think, well, that's, that could be an opportunity, but I, I wonder if this couldn't be a double-edged sword um, in a number of companies where being present continued to make the difference. What does it do to you if you elect to stay more at home and to take more job at, at work if the culture of the company, which is making looking at who is clocking uh, in present uh, in the office uh, to get the promotion, to get the interesting project, to have the ability to shine. And so I, I, am, a, I am actually, from a woman point of view, I'm actually worried and I believe there is a lot of work to be done to make sure that we don't um, miss the opportunity of all these new uh, opportunities coming up um, to make sure that we continue to advance uh, the presence of women in the workforce. What do you think could be done in both the public and private sector initiative? I don't know how it, I imagine it's different in Europe than here in the US. Um, would kind of investing in childcare facilities, would that help? Are there other things that could kind of ameliorate the situation? You're totally right. I think there are a number of measures that can be taken. In, in Europe, it's very much the states, the governments uh, who take these measures. In the US, I know it's mostly um, more private, privately driven uh, companies offering this as benefits. But indeed, looking at the very specific situation that women can face, to your point about childcare, all the studies converge to the fact that they continue to bear the most of the burden of, of childcare or elder care, by the way, it's, it's care in general at home. So everything that can alleviate that will also encourage women to go back to the workplace. Um, I, I in, in France, you know, I'm French, you can tell by my name, probably by my accent, uh, I can't hide that. Um, the fact that there are tax incentive for uh, women to put uh, children in daycare, um, that you have a large number of available seats for daycare, et cetera, allow the French woman to be uh, almost equally representative in the workforce today. So that's a good testimony that when you make it easy for household to make the decision, it's okay, either of us can work because we won't be taxed on the country, we get tax benefits for, for, uh, for putting the kids in the childcare that actually encourage women to, uh, to go outside and work. So I, I think there are, there are a number of things that can be, heard, that can be done. You know, maybe this is kind of naive, but I would imagine there's a big business in the sense that if you could provide affordable childcare and quality childcare, that that would enable women to not have to worry about, oh gosh, how do I juggle, you know, young children and my career or elder care. And then, so not only for childcare, but maybe also kind of rope in taking care of your, you know, grand, your parents, your grandparents, you know, and so forth. Um, but I don't really see that happening, but it does seem, or maybe it's just going to take time to build that out. Cause that, that could be a big game changer, I think. Right. I agree with you. And I think it goes back to the point that this shouldn't be a woman problem. It should be a society problem. 
if you go back to the conversation we were having just minutes ago about the talent scarcity, we have no choice but to make sure that we expand the pool of people who can work. And, and so to get women back to the workplace and to get them back to work so that they also have a chance to blossom as a full-on human being, I mean, we need to make sure that childcare and elder care is a burden that society is ready to remove from the woman's shoulders. And so it shouldn't be the woman carrying that, that also cost. And then it comes to uh, back to the statistic I was sharing on the, uh, when there was dual income, who was left at home? It was the women because the comparison was like, okay, when I compare your salary to the cost of childcare, well, maybe it's better if you just stay at home. And so I think there is also another element here is about you know, the, the salary gap and, and which is when, when households make the call on who should stay at home, it is the lower salary and often it's still the women. Um, I'm just curious with the salary gap, is that, and bear with me on this, is that because women may choose different kind of career paths that don't pay as well as some of the career paths that men do, or is it just due to discrimination that they get paid less? What's or is it a combination of a whole bunch of different things? I, I tend to agree that it's probably a combination. Uh, you're totally right. When, when you think about um, early career uh, recruitee, in most of my customers, in my clients, you, you usually have a good balance mm -hmm. gender-wise. So it doesn't seem that discrimination happens so much at entry level though there are things we can discuss on STEM roles, so all that relates to technical roles where we still have a big imbalance in, uh, in the number of uh, women that are choosing these professions. But in general, it, the entry point is not necessarily the problem. But what's very interesting is that as you see um, the career advancing, you see women dropping from the ranks of managerial professions or more interesting projects. And there is a combination of... Um, women electing for a role that will be perceived as too much taxing in terms of time because they know they have to look after the kids. So we go back to, can we remove that burden from the women so that they feel that they can take a, a, a little more taxing role in terms of time investment so that they have the interesting promotion. But sometimes also the organization decide for them because they assume, oh, you're a woman with a three-year kill, so, so we're not going to ask you to take that job, but to require a lot of travel. So the two forces, I think, are at play. And indeed, that drives a portion of the uh, pay gap um, that, we, that today we still see in uh, the majority of, uh, of the companies. So I think there is a, the, it's not one answer, but I think being aware of bias and also making sure that we accommodate um, the specific needs and being really inclusive uh, of the of the diversity that we have in our teams is critical. I wonder if society would socialize and make it more acceptable for men to say, "Hey, I, I, I'll I'll take care of the kids. I'll take care of you know my aunt or uncle who had to we take in," and. Because we have such a tradition, at least here in the US, I can't speak to Europe because I'm not as familiar how, how things are over there, but you have this kind of certain culture that, give you an example, when my kids were little and take them to elementary school, there were just maybe a couple of dads who were the stay-at-home dads. 
And there was a, a little bit, you could tell a little bit of a stigma. They felt a little uncomfortable with it. As time went on, I start hearing, I guess you say anecdotally, you know, in, in, in where I live, more and more of the parents, the dads are, are kind of pulling back and doing more of, you know, the childcare and what have you, but not, but not enough to make a big change. How can, this is not a fair question to ask, but how could that change where, because I would bet you, if you would speak to a large percentage of men, you have surveys, and I don't think I've ever seen a survey about it, but maybe they're out there that have given the chance to say, hey, I'll take less hours. I'll pull back a little bit because I'd be happy to do that. But because the stereotype mm -hmm. and how you, you, you unfortunately feel you have to conform, you don't do it, but they want to do it. Does that make sense? Is that? Yeah. You know, it's uh, thank you for sharing that because, uh, and, and I can share a counterexample. Uh, in Europe, um, in the Nordic countries, you share the, um, I was about to call it maternity leave. You, you, you share the childcare. Men and women share the childcare break. Mm -hmm. and, and there is no expectation that the mother will take more leave than the father. And if you want to split half-half, if you want to do one-third for the woman, two-third for the man, there is a general acceptance in society that this is the way it is. So there is a cultural element. I, I still believe that, um, and that's why I was interested by your question around, shall we give more childcare and flexibility? I think we, if we do that with the mindset of flexibilities for everyone, and not flexibility for women where you indeed reinforce the stereotype. For me, that's also a critical piece. And so there are a lot of people who've been asking me, hey, with hybrid work, maybe some more part-time and more flexibility for women, that's fantastic. I said, for all, I always yeah. correct, for all, it's for all. So that when you are in a, in, in a household uh, situation or whichever situation, because I don't want to characterize only women with kids, uh, by the way, because right. you all have your set of personal circumstances, but you need to be empowered to have that flexibility to juggle your personal priorities with your uh, professional priorities. And, but in the case of women specifically, if that allows uh, you to share more equally uh, the burden of care with your uh, partner, I think that really makes a huge difference. Totally agree. And if I may add a point, because you were talking about stereotypes, yes. and, and I know we talked about that previously. Um, I'm also very passionate about that story around role model. Mm -hmm. And that might be provocative. There are role model um, in, in the world of, uh, of corporate, but there are role model on TV. And the fact that we start seeing, you know, heroines on TV series or, or, or you know, um, uh, Netflix shows that, that show, uh, you know, strong women who are able to juggle STEM jobs or interesting jobs and with their partners staying at home. I think that's also show that, hey, this is how it can happen it shows it's possible. If you never see this, it's hard for you to represent yourself in that situation where you as a wife uh, or a woman, you would be working and your husband will be the stay at home. If you never see it, if you don't know how it looks like, 
So this importance of showing, for me, is, is very critical as well. You know, uh, if I may, I'll give you a personal anecdote. So I would, you know, I was commuting in from, you know, we were, we lived in Manhattan, had a couple of kids and the usual thing, go out to the suburbs and then commuting into Manhattan for 20 plus years. And here in the States, commuting is terrible. It could take easy an hour, an hour and a half, one way, an hour, an hour, and a half, the next way there could be an accident and you're stuck, literally stuck in your car for two hours. It's just torturous. Trains don't work that well. Buses don't work that well. They break down. And my wife really had the burden of taking care of my, of the two kids. And so much so that sometimes they thought, okay, she was a single mom because I was always working. And then I had this epiphany where I, I was like, oh my God, I'm going to be that guy who comes home cranky after a long day or after a long week, you know, eat dinner, plop on the couch, you know, just, just, just be tired and, and disinterested because I'm just, just need enough strength to go to sleep and do it again. And I said, I can't keep doing this. This is ridiculous. My, my kids are going to like, that's, they're going to remember me as that person. And what happened is I was actually taking, I was driving around in town and there's literally a sign and I guess figuratively a sign where it's like one of the corporate buildings in my suburb, like the only one really. And it had a sign saying, hey, for rent. And it hit me, said, you know what? F it, I'm going to do it. So I kind of pulled out of Manhattan, said, even if I'm going to take a hit to my income, and I did take a big hit because you, know, you don't have that socialization, you know, going out for drinks and dinner and all that kind of stuff. But it was the best move I made because I was able to drive my daughter to school, pick her up from school, take my you know, son to soccer games, be coaching for soccer games and t-ball games, taking ballet classes. And it was like the best decision in my life because I really, you know, took the, you know, got was, was so involved. And I think right now, I, you know, we've cultivated a really great relationship, which is fantastic, which I think if I kept going back and forth to Manhattan, perpetuating that stereotype, this is what I got to do, this is what I'm supposed to do, I, I probably wouldn't have had that. I would have missed out on so many important events. So for people who watch, it's possible to do. I mean, it, it would be <laughs> nice if I didn't take a financial hit. But I'm being very candid. It's, it, it was a difference, but it was something. It was to me, it was more important to do that. And I wonder if more and more post-pandemic. Now I did this before the pandemic, but I wonder post-pandemic, are there going to be more men who are going to start thinking, wait, yeah. there's more to life, and screw it. Just because I'm supposed to do this doesn't mean well, no. I want to do other things. I got to contribute, you know, at home, and it's not just mowing the lawn. And you know, I mean, fixing broken sinks or stuff, but uh, I don't know. I'm pretty optimistic that that things might change. I'm totally, and I love that you share that story. And and I love in two ways, because the first thing is that you learn that to choose to have a more balanced way, this is a hit on you, and that's mm -hmm. what happening to women every yeah. day. Every day they take the hit because they choose their family. Maybe they don't choose. Maybe society choose for them yeah. because they go for a lower paid job. They go for a, you know, a more flexible job that will be closer to home, etc. So what you experience is what 
often women experience as well. So uh, thank you for sharing that yeah. so, with so much vulnerability. And on your second point, I totally agree. And I am an optimist. And this world of possibility that I was talking about, I also think that as people are looking for more purpose in their life and more balance, if we start to have men asking for flexibility, not for women, but for everyone, this could be a chance that we have a more equal access to work opportunity and to growth and, and really blossoming in everybody's job. And so I'm very hopeful too. I think it could happen because I think you're going to have different types, archetypes. I think you're going to have people who are just men or women, doesn't matter, or, or you name it, any type of person uh, from any walk of life, just hardcore, just wor working, working, that's it. You know, consume passion, men, women, doesn't matter, black, white, yellow, pink, purple, polka dot, fat, skinny, tall, doesn't matter. You could have that. And then you could have others who go, wait, if there's a choice and I can have a balance, I'm taking that balance. I bet you there would be a lot of men who would raise their hand and say, hey, this is about, I'll do it. I'll take it. I, I, I'm happy, even if it means taking a step back in my career. Hopefully it doesn't, but even if it does, because life is too, because I think one of the lessons we've learned, and this is a kind of cold, but real lesson, life is short and precious. Yeah. And, and we sort our own eyes how people, you, you know, you mentioned that you just had COVID. My son has COVID. Um, unfortunately, I lost uh, a niece to COVID and, and, and it wakes you up and say, oh, oh man, life is short and you got to put your priorities in place and no one's going to kind of say, hey, I should have put more work in the office when they're on their deathbed and saying, gosh, I should have put more hours in. No, you're going to say, I should have spent more time with my family and do things for the community and do good work and contribute and make the world a better place. So I, I'm, I'm kind of hopeful with, along with you. I, I, think, I think it's going to change. It's hard to change because we're so used to doing these things. But I think where we are now, think about with, with, with how work is. If you and I had this conversation four years ago, when we talked about remote work, hybrid work, flexibility, people would be like, what? You two are nuts. That's never going to happen. And now it's happening. You know, if we had this conversation five years ago and talked about mental health, well-being, uh, burnout, people are like, what? What are you talking about? Now it's, it's an open, honest conversation. So in a short period of time, we have seen a lot of change, which is encouraging. Absolutely. And I think this is part of this big reevaluation yeah. that we talked about earlier. And I'm just like you. Again, I have no crystal ball on what tomorrow is about, but I am very, very hopeful about this new world of possibility and this new world of work. Absolutely. That's great. So you know what? Maybe let's end it here on a positive note. Because <laughs> I was going to ask you something about a recession, but I think that would kind of ruin the whole. <laughs> so so I'll, I'll put that aside because I was curious to see what you're seeing. But, but well, let me ask you this. Are you still, are you seeing in, in the flow of business and jobs where you are, everything still going well, still humming? You mean uh, relative to the recession? Yeah, because I'm a little, because I'm writing, being very, I'll be very candid again, I'm writing a piece, I was writing a piece this morning about, you know, a potential recession here in the States, and then advising, hey, what you can do to protect yourself from it, or just to get through it. And no one wants to write about that and no one wants to read about it, but I feel like it's something you want to bring out there. So people can be like, oh, well, I didn't even think about that. Let me prepare. Yeah. But given your position, you see so many different jobs all across the world. Are you, are you seeing any changes or, or still things are good and, and robust? 
Well, I think we cannot be we cannot be tone deaf to mm -hmm. everything that's happening in the world. I mean, right. in Europe in particular, we 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 feel very close to what's happening in Ukraine. Uh, I don't know how much it is in the U.S., but certainly we feel that we are very close and. Also, the worrying trends on inflation, and my customers are talking about it. Um, and some of my customers start to see some of the consequences, especially on all that relates to supply chain issues, raw material missing in some sectors more than others. Uh, so we cannot turn a blind eye on the fact that um, there is a lot of uh, uncertainty, uh, uncertainty. But from a, a world of work perspective for now we're still in that desperate situation to get more people to work um and and so i don't think this is slowing down for the reason that i was uh, sharing before obviously it's very uncertain and we need to look at it for the face of it um but i but i think we need to take one step at a time for now there's still a lot of opportunity to be grabbed which is interesting i'm not gonna pretend to be an economist but usually when you have these kind of recessionary times, there's a lot of layoffs, a lot of downsizing. We've had some here in the States fairly recently, but not a huge extent. We still have here in the States, 11 million jobs open. Uh, I mean, that's that's an enormous amount of jobs available. Yeah. So, so I, I guess- was talking to, I was talking to one of my customer earlier this week, and he, he was sharing that, uh, you know, you always have a, a rolling number of open position, and that's kind of the normal churn of your business. You were telling me that since the end of the pandemic, this is twice as much as before. Wait, wait, twice as many? Twice, twice as many open position than wow. before the pandemic on average. So before this can be resolved, I think we have some buffer. And, and I am hopeful that uh, the, all the signs that we are seeing today, which we need to look, and again, uh, observe for the face of them. Uh, I, I am confident that we, well, we need to, we need to, uh, we have some buffer. So, so that, yeah. So because there's such a demand, whereas in past, you know, tough times, there wasn't the demand. So there's, even if you cut the jobs from 11 to seven, I'm making up a number, you know, it's still a lot of jobs and there's a lot of needs. So I guess that's going to help power us through. Totally. And it goes back to the flexibility because yeah. it goes back to reskilling, upskilling and making sure that you get ready for the next job that will be available as well. So depending on where you are as a profession. So it goes back. I think we're going in this in, in full circle of the conversation where we started it on, on the world of pro, pro, uh, possibility and really getting trained. So, so I'm glad that you're optimistic because, you know, running you know, one of the largest, if not the largest talent staffing agency, you have your fingers on the pulse. And I, I, I feel your confidence, your optimism. So that's a good sign. So that makes me feel good and comfortable and optimistic. And I got to tell you, it's, it's, it's a pleasure speaking with you again. You know, I, I could see why you've been so successful. You're, you're a positive person, upbeat, motivated, you know, and, and you truly comes across as you love what you do. I think that's a big part too, right? For a career, like loving what you do and loving the people you're working with and being passionate about it, goes it goes a long way, right? Yeah, absolutely. Passion, the heart and the mind. You need to reconcile those two to be successful. I'm excellent, excellent. Well, thank you so much, Valerie, for 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 coming on the show. And I, I, you know, I, this is what I love doing because 
you know, we bring smart, successful people like yourself to share. And here in the U.S., and, and, and you're going through this in Europe too, there's so much angst, there's so much anxiety and stress and worry that it's, it's, it's so important and powerful to hear some positivity and not fake positivity. You know, you don't mean that like that force, but real, like, hey, here's data, here's information, here's things that show that things are good. And, and uh, people, you know, people should hear that, not just all the negativity, all the bad stuff. So this is great. I love it. This is a great way to start the day. So I appreciate your time so much, Valerie. Thank you so, Thank you so much, much for having me, Jack. Thank oh, you. My pleasure. Take care. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.